0: Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 186, The iPhone 13 Has Arrived. Hi, I'm Neil. Last week, Apple hosted a virtual event where it unveiled annual updates to the iPhone and Apple Watch. Updates to the iPad line and Fitness Plus were also announced. Shortly after the event, I received an iPhone 13 Pro to try out. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the iPhone 13 Pro in a way to add context to the broader iPhone business. Before we get to that, I think there's value in setting the stage a little bit. In 2021, there are a handful of iPhone features and attributes that I truly care about and need reliability, consistent and carefree cameras, and good battery life. When we talk about reliability, this item is designed to be a catch basin feature that will include everything from performance related items that allow me to get through my workflows with ease to good enough durability so that a drop or fall doesn't lead to a cracked screen. With consistent and carefree cameras, it's been years since cameras evolved to be just as much about communication as memory capture. I want to be able to quickly take an iPhone out of my pocket and take fuss-free good photos. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, so this point has added importance. I have to do it with speed and ease. I can't help but laugh when companies talk about their latest camera advancements, both hardware and software. And they say, well, we have so much machine learning that's going on behind the scenes and it results in better photos. And I always ask myself, well, can I get my five-year-old and three-year-old smile at the same time. It's one of the hardest tests for cameras, and cameras still are failing in that point. In addition to family photos, I'm big into taking pictures of the scenery, the environment, and so being able to take on an iPhone and capture just that right scene at the right moment is important to me. And then the third item that I truly care about and need is good battery life. And I know I'm not the only one who has this need. There is no worse friction point than having an iPhone turn off in the middle of the day because I forgot to charge it that morning. With those features and attributes in mind, I can certainly base my iPhone 13 Pro impressions or review on how the device compares in those three categories to the iPhone 12 Pro. And when you take a look at a lot of the professional iPhone reviewers, that's exactly what they do. They may have a list of objective items, and they use that to determine if the iPhone 13 Pro is better than its predecessor. For me, such an activity is incomplete. It doesn't reflect what really matters, and that's the user experience. We are very good at identifying good and bad experiences. And that's what made me think that a more realistic test is to simply use the iPhone 13 Pro for a few days. And then ask myself if I would be okay with going back to my previous iPhone. And so if I have the iPhone 13 Pro and iPhone 12 Pro on a table, and I have to run an error and if I have to plan a trip, which iPhone would I take with me? The iPhone 13 Pro or iPhone 12 Pro? If I choose the iPhone 13 Pro, then Apple has succeeded. The various multidisciplinary teams responsible for developing iPhones met their objective. They can continue putting the finish and touches on next year's flagship iPhone, which is probably pretty close to being done, actually. However, if I picked the iPhone 12 Pro off that table and left the iPhone 13 Pro behind, then Apple has a problem on its hands. Since the newest flagship is, in essence, leading to a worse user experience. At this point, some of you may be saying, well, Neil, I don't have an iPhone 12 Pro. I have an older model. So that exercise isn't quite right. If anything, that exercise seems... A bit extreme. What if I'm upgrading from, say, an iPhone SE? What if I have something as old as an iPhone 6S Plus? Wouldn't the iPhone 13 Pro be an obvious upgrade or update? And the answer is yes, very likely it would be. However, I think from Apple's perspective, they have to come up with iPhones each year that push the user experience forward. From the previous flagship. That's why I do think it's important to test last year's flagship to this year's flagship. But notice how I'm not necessarily comparing feature to feature. I'm not saying, well, the iPhone 13 Pro, it's not really a big upgrade versus last year, or it's a minor upgrade versus previous years. You see, a lot of people say that in reviews, and I don't think that's the right way of framing a new iPhone. So let's cut to the chase. What was my initial impression using the iPhone 13 Pro? If I have it on a desk next to my iPhone 12 Pro, which one am I taking? After a few days with the iPhone 13 Pro, I'm perfectly okay with letting the iPhone 12 Pro be ignored and collect dust. And More interestingly, I'm also letting the iPhone 11 Pro Max collect dust. And I say that's interesting because the iPhone 11 Pro Max has a larger display. One of the things that I've been struggling with is figuring out what display size works best for me in my daily schedule and workflows. And it's not an easy question. I have been kind of going back and forth between different sizes. At this point, I wanted to go a little bit over my initial impressions from the iPhone 13 Pro. And a lot of these impressions will also apply... To the iPhone 13. The first had to do with setup. The days of needing to set aside a good hour or two for setting up a new iPhone and pairing it with an Apple Watch are over. I remember when I used to wait till the weekend to set up a new iPhone because I was afraid something would go bad. I wouldn't be able to do something. And I was like, I I need an iPhone right now. I can't wait a day Until I have a functioning iPhone. Setting up the iPhone 13 Pro was a breeze. The number of onboarding screens has been cut significantly. I think many of you probably recall how you have to go through all these things do Face ID, set up Siri, set up Apple Pay. It gets to be overwhelming. And then adding an Apple Watch to the experience, things were just getting so complicated. This time around, I was able to pair my Apple Watch Series 6 with the iPhone 13 Pro in a couple minutes. It was pretty easy. The next few impressions are visual, and we'll start off with the front notch. The iPhone 13 and 13 Pro have a 20% smaller true depth camera system, with much of the volume reduction in the horizontal dimension. Here's the thing I never noticed the front-facing notch in the past. Therefore, the 20% smaller notch was similarly hard to notice. One thing I think it's important to point out, I watch my videos in landscape mode with black bars on either side. So it's not like the front notch is eating into my video. So for me, the notch remains a total non-factor. Although I do appreciate Apple's efforts and making it smaller over time. And I think it is logical that Apple follow a goal to try to remove the notch altogether at some point in the future. If we flip the iPhone around, we have the cameras. While the front notch got smaller, the three cameras located in the back of the iPhone 13 Pro got larger. And it's a setup that I'm referring to as the back camera's trifecta. Camera physics adds credibility to the need for physically larger cameras. Apple is right in not trying to hide the cameras by making the overall iPhone thicker. In a move that is very much Apple, they embrace the larger cameras. They draw attention to them. Let's be honest. Nowadays, people use the back-facing cameras as a way of identifying which smartphone you have. All the cases have cutouts, so they don't block the cameras. And you could count, okay, well, that has two cameras. That must be the regular iPhone flagship, or this has three cameras, must be the Pro. You could even look at the orientation of the cameras to figure out what kind of smartphone brand you have. On Apple's website, it's all about how tall the cameras are in terms of sticking out of the iPhone. Over time, you really don't think about The cameras on the back, they do, similar to the front notch, just sort of blend in. But you can't help notice at first how larger the back camera's trifecta is compared to, say, the iPhone 12 Pro. Now, one thing that I ran into is, depending on how you hold the iPhone 13 Pro in your hand, the back camera's trifecta may get in the way. So based on the way I naturally hold iPhones, my index finger rests very close to the lowest camera. Thing is, using an iPhone 13 Pro case actually helps a lot. I have a first-party leather one from Apple, and it includes a small lip that my index finger can rest on. One can't help but wonder if Apple's recent push with first-party cases is partially driven by this. and. Trying to make it easier to hold an iPhone with increasingly larger back cameras. As for the actual cameras found in the iPhone 13 Pro, they are scary good. The era of computational photography involves having the iPhone itself do all the heavy lifting while I just point my iPhone at stuff and tap. Here's the thing the iPhone 12 Pro and 11 Pro cameras were scary good too. I took a number of comparison photos between the iPhone 13 Pro and iPhone 12 Pro. I couldn't tell a difference. Now, it is true that the iPhone 13 Pro will excel at what I guess we could call fringe cases, maybe areas where there's not enough light. Okay, I get it. I would just use caution in running with the assumption that everyone is going out and upgrading their iPhones because of the camera. Instead, I think consumers are actually pretty happy with the iPhone camera that they have. And most iPhone users don't have an iPhone 12 Pro. They have an older iPhone. We'll talk a little bit about this at the end of the episode, the idea of upgrading in general. Next up is cinematic mode. By bringing feel to video, cinematic mode is Apple's latest effort to democratize photography. And videography. Last weekend, I took the iPhone 13 Pro to the Big E. So that is one of the largest state fairs in the US. And I used cinematic mode with one of the performers. His name is Hilby. I was pretty impressed with cinematic mode. I included some video of Hilby in cinematic mode in my hands on with the iPhone 13 Pro video that I uploaded to YouTube. I'll include a link to that video in the show notes. At this point, I'll give my YouTube channel a little shout out. I know I haven't done many videos in the past. This iPhone 13 Pro video that I did is actually the seventh video I've ever put together. So it's a very different type of experience for me to go through. My expectation is I will be posting more videos in the future, so if you're on YouTube, definitely check out my channel and subscribe. Turning back to cinematic mode, overall, I was impressed. It's not perfect. It's version one. When objects like knives or fire sticks were added to the scene, I did find the cinematic mode struggled to determine what to keep in focus. In my test, I captured Hilby. He was a good 20 to 25 feet away. Hilby is a comedian slash juggler, for those who aren't familiar, I assume most people aren't familiar with him. He's funny, definitely if he's around your area in the state fair, check him out, but he was a good twenty to twenty five feet away from me. I didn't know what he was going to be doing. You could see if you had a different use case, maybe you're actually trying to make a home movie with family and friends. That could really shine instead. what I used is three x optical zoom, and I just tried to kind of keep him in frame and again, I was overall. I thought it was pretty good. The way I think of cinematic mode is it's like portrait mode. And I wouldn't be surprised if my use case for cinematic mode is very similar to how I use portrait mode. When I have that photo of my five-year-old or my three-year-old, or it's just that right image where I'm like, let me try portrait mode. I will do that. I actually use portrait mode pretty frequently. Some people are a little bit less convinced. They look at portrait mode more as a gimmick. They say, I am not. I don't take that too often. So, I'm not going to use cinematic mode often. Maybe. For me, though, I think I'm going to use it. Another useful feature that's worth pointing out with cinematic mode is you're able to adjust the video after recording. I did use this functionality. It worked fine. There is a little bit of a learning curve involved in figuring out what exactly is going on, what to edit. But after a few minutes of playing around with it, I think the average consumer We'll be able to pick it up. Turning to ProMotion. For the first time, Apple brought ProMotion. It's 120Hz Adaptive Refresh Display Technology to the iPhone. Comparing an iPhone 13 Pro with ProMotion to an iPhone 12 Pro without ProMotion, I was not able to make out any discernible difference between the two. Others disagree, and they said that they could tell a difference. So I'll put that out there. Even though I may not have noticed a difference visually, An added benefit from a ProMotion is power savings. And that's something that will impact all users in one way or another. So even if you don't notice any difference visually, you can still benefit from ProMotion. Next up, battery life. According to Apple, the iPhone 13 Pro has one and a half more hours of battery life in real-world usage. What Apple is trying to do here is come up with a way of measuring how much longer can you use an iPhone during the day before you need that recharge. And so they're claiming that the iPhone 13 Pro, you're able to go 90 minutes more than with an iPhone 12 Pro if you have the same type of moderate use case. Of course, things are going to change if you have more intensive workflows. For me, that claim, it's still hard to test exactly. I've had this phone now for about a week. It does feel like I'm getting longer battery life, and what I mean by that is I'm not needing to find that plug at around 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. I think many of you probably know the feeling where you get through the day mostly, but maybe when you're just kind of ready to put your feet up, you have that 1% or 2% battery life remaining but you want to watch a YouTube video or you want to do something and you need that extra charge, I'm not running into that anymore. So I do think there is truth to the claim that the iPhone 13 Pro or the iPhone 13 lineup, I should say, has better battery life. And again, Apple's pretty good with those claims when we go back over time. They have not really been shown to be too aggressive with battery savings. As for how Apple was able to achieve Longer battery life, as we talked about shortly, Promotion with the pro models helps. Apple also included physically larger batteries. There are also gains in terms of performance versus power efficiency and the software integration. This brings us to screen size. what I find to be one of the most subjective debates found with the iPhone. I remain torn on the topic. I've been switching between a 6.5-inch and a 6.1-inch screen for the past year. Here's how I'll put it. The additional screen real estate found with the larger iPhones is great for video. No question. However, the overall larger form factor needed to support that additional screen real estate is a negative for mobility. Having used the iPhone 13 Pro for the past week, I noticed a difference trying to fit it in a pocket or holding it in hand walking around versus a larger iPhone. I didn't think I would. And going forward, again, I still remain torn on this. Do I stick with sort of that 6.1-inch screen? Do I move permanently to a larger screen? I will say this. I think when thinking of the larger display, the largest display, 6.7-inch with the iPhone Pro Max, I don't think there's much room to go larger because the overall form factor really starts to become a problem for mobility. So I think we may be seeing sort of limit in terms of how large iPhones can get. And now what Apple is going to try to do is refine the strategy, try to figure out okay, well, maybe there is room to come up with a larger flagship non-pro model. Pricing. The iPhone 13 Pro starts at $45.79 per month. That's before traded. That's $8 more per month than the iPhone 13. $8 per month is about the price of two Starbucks coffees. For some users, the LiDAR scanner or better battery life are worth that difference. That's just one quick example of why caution is needed before running with too many assumptions about iPhone upgrading and well, why would someone pick the Pro versus the non-Pro flagship iPhone. We won't talk about it in this episode, but there is a much larger trend taking place with the iPhone business and it involves upgrading, involves pricing. The iPhone cost of ownership is declining, and that's because iPhone residual values are increasing. In my view, that stands to impact iPhone upgrading, in addition to expanding the gray market, which ultimately is about... Growing the iPhone install base. I went into that in greater detail in a recent daily update for members. I'll include a link to that update in the show notes. So if you do want a little bit more about the pricing and broader iPhone strategy, definitely check out that daily update. The iPhone business is all about continuous refinement and advancement with new features aimed at improving the user experience. When it comes to the competition, It is that refinement that is so difficult to go up against. Since there really aren't new competitors in the smartphone space, I'll use a quick example in the smartwatch space. Say you're trying to compete against the Apple Watch, and you're using Apple Watch Series 6 as your competition. Well, it's going to take time for you to develop your competitor. Let's say two years, maybe three years. By time you have your product ready to launch, ready to get on people's wrists, well, Apple is already on Apple Watch Series 8 or Apple Watch Series 9. Now, sure, you can plan ahead. You can assume, okay, well, we think Apple's going to include this and that. But very often what you'll find is it's very difficult to get to that point without having made advancements elsewhere. So for example maybe you need to have a certain battery life advancement to include a feature you're not there yet so you can't include that feature. It's like a puzzle. The end result is you can't compete because ultimately Apple is not standing still. It's not just that the Apple Watch Series 6 is the competition and remain the competition for the next 2 or 3 years. Each year Apple's looking to add a few features that people will use, that people will like and the Apple Watch experience is pushed forward. The same thing is found with the iPhone business. In 2021, the iPhone business is not dependent on year-over-year upgrades and changes that are so shocking and momentous that a billion iPhone users run out and upgrade. Apple will not be able to handle that kind of demand. In addition, it's not reflective of the iPhone install base's heterogeneous nature. What may be important to me may not matter as much to you. Trying to satisfy both of us in the same exact way is a fool's errand. For Apple, the goal of the iPhone is to continue making it a better tool. A tool that consumers can use in different ways, depending on their wants, needs, their daily schedule, and their daily workflows. That will do it for today's discussion. If you want more Above Avalon throughout the week that goes beyond the periodic articles in these podcast episodes, I think you would be interested in becoming an Above Avalon member. The cornerstone of membership is accessing my exclusive daily updates about Apple. All of my original research, analysis, and perspective are found in these updates. They are 2,000-word emails sent directly to your inbox Monday through Thursday. Over the years, membership has come to include everyone from Silicon Valley executives, board members, and investors to the largest Apple shareholders and the leading Apple journalists in the business. The updates are also well-suited for students, people young at heart, and anyone with an interest in Apple or Apple products. For more information and to sign up, head on over to aboveavla.com and go to the membership page. Membership is just $20 per month or $200 per year. Once you become a member, you can access the Daily Updates archive and member forum. In addition, membership includes access to my fully functioning Apple earnings model and reports. There is also a podcast add-on available that can be attached to your membership so that the daily written updates can be listened to in various podcast players. This allows the updates to be consumed in a variety of settings and locations, such as in the car, at the gym, etc. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is 100% sustained by its members, so if you like Above Avalon, consider becoming a member thank you for your support. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.